Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Whether you call it betting, wagering, or a game of skill, sports betting is not a new thing in the world history. Shoot, the ancient Romans placed bets on the gladiators in the Colosseum, the Greeks on the Olympic Games, all throughout human history. This week we talk about controversy and the rise of two superpowers in the industry, based on a book called Billion Dollar Fantasy. Welcome to Fantasy Football Origin Stories, where each episode is a journey back in time to explore the unique experiences of some of the coolest and most influential people in the fantasy football industry. I'm your host, Arnie Chapman, also known as the Football History Dude. Now, I love fantasy football, and I want you to come along with me to explore the yesteryear of the armchair gridiron. So hop on board my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time to stop off the DeLorean? The date is... Well, shoot, I don't actually know the date, but I know it's 2009, and we're in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest Interactive Festival. Well, we're in some random backyard, but we're here listening to five eventual co-founders of a future company, and they're talking about changing the world in the game of fantasy sports. Then we hop on the DeLorean, we tap that little flux capacitor, we head off to 2012 in Watertown, Massachusetts. This time we're in Paul Lieberman's spare bedroom and we're listening to three co-founders of another company and they're talking about the same thing. Now these two companies, FanDuel and DraftKings. If you've ever watched any sporting event or shoot, any time been on TV, you've heard of these two companies. And they would find themselves on a path to cross each other in a very big way in the future. As both enemies and as allies. And what this week's guest ultimately wrote a book about. And he titled it Billion Dollar Fantasy. The high stakes game between FanDuel and DraftKings that upended sports in America. Now we'll go ahead and get into this and some other stories from the author about the book. The process and much more in this upcoming interview. But first, if you're interested in purchasing the book, you can click on the Amazon link in the show notes. Or better yet, you can head over to the webpage over at fantasyfootballoriginstories.com to see the episodes, the show notes, and everything else from all of the guests we have on this show. But speaking of this week's guests, well, let's get into that interview. This time we speak with Mr. Albert Chen. Game this weekend, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Gotcha, I'm totally man. Game for whatever. Yeah. Let's start there then. So I do like to start off pretty much every show with asking the guest if you have a loyalty to a particular NFL team, what would it be? Um. Yeah. No, that's a great question. I mean, I actually I grew up in the Midwest in college football country in the middle of Nebraska, so I was a huge. Nebraska Cornhuskers fan, but I followed professional football very carefully and closely and um, just kind of randomly very early on was a Seahawks fan just because of their uniforms. But then we moved when I was in middle school to the DC area and just became a hardcore then Redskins fan. And this was during the nineties when you know, Mark Rippon was the quarterback and still sort of the end of the Joe Gibbs era. And um, so I was a, a Redskins fan through and through. Um, you know, I've since moved to New York. It's a different team, <laughs> different name, um, different 
winning percentage over the last few decades. But uh, um, but I would say in terms of my professional football allegiance, um, definitely Washington, D.C. football fan. And my friends are all still there, big Washington, D.C. football fans, and my parents and, and family are still there as well. So definitely have ties there. <laughs> well, before I – I'll get back to that, but first got to say, so that's not a good team to bring up around these parts by the Lions because, like, that only playoff game we won since 60, since 57, we ended up losing the, the next week to the command – well, the Redskins at the time. So, yeah, that's not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but uh, okay, so yeah, maybe not directly as much because you moved to New York and you follow and all that stuff. But are you, uh, I don't know, what's the general feel for the fan base for like this whole, okay, we're getting rid of the the, the Dark Lord Sith, Dan Snyder, and we're, we're bringing in like, you know, this new regime of Golden State Warriors GM. I can't remember the guy's name, but like, like is it like excitement at this point or... Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that there is kind of this feeling of, well, I mean, I just remember, of course, when the Snyder news broke, the news, the new ownership, I mean, a flurry of texts and just like this day that in terms of the fan base, never thought it would, I don't know, things had become so hopeless. And as you know, the, the stadium and attendance and interest had just like cratered completely. Um yeah, I mean, there was certainly a new hope around. I remember, you know, during training camp in August, just getting texts from my friends who were there and just comparing the crowds then to, um, uh, you know, just a year ago. I mean, and it was just a totally different vibe. Now, the reality is um, the team isn't very good. <laughs> and it does always come down to wins and losses and hopefully they get a quarterback but no there there definitely is a newfound um hope and and certainly you know having a expected coaching change and and just you know um there's going to be a few years of rebuilding there's no question of that but i think it's in just an infinitely much better place in terms of (laughs) fan morale than it was the last 10 or so years. Um, So, yeah, I mean, definitely things are on the upswing, but, you know, I I think like DC um, and football are just so intertwined. It really is at the end of the day, a football city and that whole Maryland, Virginia area, you know, nationals can win the world series. And, and, um, but at the same time, like at the end of the day, it really is, all about football there, football foremost. And there'd be nothing better than to have like a playoff football team back in DC. So I think we're all very excited for that. Yeah. I mean, I could, it's not the same because the ownership group didn't handle things the same way, but like with the Fords and the Lions, there was so long where it's like, it seemed like they were just using the team as like marketing and advertising, but now they, then they turned it over, you know, Martha turns it over to these new, the actual, oh, geez, I'm losing the name of the president off the top of my head, but like they had Rod, and then what turns into a f- actual football kind of perspective as far as making business decisions. And now, of course, we're talking about our first home playoff game since it was 91, I think. 93 it was, is the last one. So we're like my one time in my entire life. So it's, it's a hope on the horizon for you, if you will. No, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I think the Lions are a great model. You know, you get the right coach and the kind of the mix of the right quarterback and players around him and um, things can turn around in a change. So I'm uh, taking a lot of hope in that Lions shirt that you're wearing there and, <laughs> and all that it represents this this coming weekend. Well, you never know. You might get some of that uh, culture infused into Washington because I think I know that both of the coordinators have a bunch of interview requests, and I think Washington reached out to at least one of them recently. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've seen some some pretty amazing turnarounds in, in the NFL specifically. So, um, yeah, I mean, just look at the Texans, and I think that – but kind of the big pieces you have to get right. And so, you know, whether it's that – coach uh or drafting the right quarterback and and kind of you can't get those wrong so uh it's high stakes um for the next um during this off season but um i I think hope is on the horizon i mean i think like 
what's interesting about the NFL and, and certainly with the Browns in, in recent seasons is that like, yeah, it, it doesn't seem as hopeless as like the disparity in a sport like college or um, in major league baseball, where you just need that payroll and the core players. And uh, because it just seems like it's the same teams year after year. So taking a little solace in that, but you know, I think um, also a little realistic too, but um, hopefully the turnaround is near. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either way, uh, next year will bring new things, and it'll bring a new fantasy football season, bringing us back to the fantasy football origin stories. Uh, I know in our pregame, you kind of indicated that, okay, yeah, I guess I do have a little bit of experience of fantasy football, but take me back to maybe, if you don't remember specifically when, but like, when did you start playing or even start hearing about fantasy football? Yeah, no, I mean, so I've been in the same one league for 23 years now. Um, I, you know, I just can't believe that it's been that long, but it actually goes back. I mean, I know precisely the the moment when I kind of had my introduction to fantasy football and it's kind of um, looking back now, it's pretty crazy. But so I was, um, I was, living in Nebraska still. Um, so probably fifth or sixth grade. And it was oddly enough, my cousin who was living with us at the time and had moved from Taiwan only within the last few years. Um, and he was, and we were both like, for whatever strange reason, he had become a really big Buffalo Bills fan. And I, I was a, a big Washington Redskins fan. Um, so I guess this was actually when we had moved to Maryland. So yeah, this makes a lot more sense now, but, uh, definitely in middle school at that point. And, um, and he kind of came to me with this odd little game where you picked players and it was just the two of us. So, and I don't really recall where he got these rules from. And where you would essentially draft players um, and then add up the stats to those players at the by hand, of course, back then. Um, and from newspaper box scores, add up the scores. And of course, there was always the lag. Sunday game's over. And it would take like another day before he would come to me with who actually had um, the be better team. And yeah, I mean, I mean, we were super into it and we didn't, I wasn't certainly aware of kind of this larger culture. Um, you know, this was early days internet, I suppose. So we weren't online at all. We were just like following sports through uh, TV and, and the, you know, the Washington Post and Baltimore Sun that we get every morning. <laughs> so, um, so my cousin and I would just go head to head, and you know, as you could probably imagine, I don't even remember what the stakes were, but um, but it was got pretty intense. Um, and we did that for a few years, and then um, in high school, I kind of graduated to a league with my high school friends, and then college. This is when I kind of got locked into this league where. Um, Few of my high school friends, it's a little bit of a mix, and I have been in the same league now for for yeah, twenty three years. Well, how many times you've taken the championship in that league? Yeah, that's a great question. I recently looked this up, um, but for some reason, my profile on the site where we have the our league um, has me starting, and maybe you know, I think people will probably allege that this is a con convenient thing for me, <laughs> but. It only started tracking within uh, the last 13 years. And I'm proud to say, I, I kind of, my results were better than I remember. I mean, I do remember this. I've won three of the last seven and over, it's a 12 team league um, snake draft. And it's kind of remained the same ever since. And, um, and maybe four or five over the last 13 years. So, nice. <laughs> is it like a keeper or is it just redraft every year? It's redraft. It's pretty simple. I, a few people threaten to quit when, <laughs> you know, people threaten to make the rules a little. You know, it's always a balance, as you as you know. You got twelve people in this league. Some of them are more attentive to their teams than others, and more intense than others. And uh, you know, I, I would say I'm definitely more on the intensive side. But um, when some of us kind of 
threatened to make the league a little bit more interesting, I would say, and more competitive. Um, a few of the old timers uh, threatened to quit and was like, we don't have time for this crap, you know, that type of thing. So very simple kind of standard PPR league um, with kind of oddly enough, strangely large rosters, which kind of makes for its own complications. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's a fun league. I mean, I love it. And of course, you know, our, our league um, just wrapped up a few weeks ago. <laughs> right. So you, you gave me one of those professional podcast transitions. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to submit this into the uh, whole equation, but you said in college is when you pretty much that league started? Yeah, in college. Yeah. And you went to yeah. Yale, right? I went to Yale. Yeah, yep. so we can give yep. you and your alma mater credit for fantasy football through the grapevines because that's where Walter Camp created football or American football back in the, the, yeah, the 1860s. You're right. Yeah, there is an incredible football tradition starting with Walter Camp and um, not much of a tradition when I was there, but um, but now you're you're absolutely right. It's um, and I remember going to the Yale Bowl, which is this ancient. Um, football coliseum and uh yeah it's it's college football of a different um very different flavor (laughs) i would say but uh its own tradition in its own way yeah yeah i haven't been able to bring that up on this show i don't think because it's not really related to football history but yeah it's just amazing when i was researching and learning about the history of the game and everything that Basically, yeah, like Yale and Harvard and them, like they were the ones that were <laughs> Princeton. Like that was football at the beginning. You don't think of any of those teams as like powerhouse football schools anymore. No, and and the Yale Harvard rivalry is, um, I don't know, it might be the longest football rivalry um, uh, in the country. But I think that um, it's still just like a a great game to go to the nickname is the game Um, a little pretentious but i think like given the length of time that that rivalry has been going on i think uh there is it's it's somewhat appropriate so football is not you know i don't know how quality the football is it's certainly not sec football but uh but the it's it's definitely you know a rivalry game to put on the um the bucket list because it's got its own sort of flavor and, you know, its own little style there. So yeah, football, not so great, but um, yeah. <laughs> but still it's cool to be able to be a part of that. And, Oh, excuse me. And, and like you said earlier, um, just talking about how like you've moved around, you were in like the, the Midwest for a while with different kind of, you know, college country and such as far as a lot of football, but it's just neat how looking back, they didn't really like, they didn't know where that was going to go. They didn't realize it was going to turn into the Super Bowl. <laughs> however many years later it was, I mean, it's become this behemoth of an industry. No, they, they had no idea that, and they never could have imagined because I grew up um, largely in, in Nebraska and going to taking the two hour drive to Lincoln, where that stadium Memorial stadium then would become the third largest kind of gathering or city in the entire state. And no, it, they had no idea that it would become that or obviously become, you know, that the national football league would become what it is today. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was sort of a, you know, I I just remember I, I was a sports reporter at um, for one of the Yale papers. And so I covered a lot of, um, the Yale football team and um, kind of going through old archives of, like you said, Walter Camp and and a lot of the tradition and some of the great football games were um, the Yale Harvard games um, through the years. And it's a very famous 31-31 tie that's considered one of the, the great games um, in history. And so like there, there is a lot of tradition there, long sort of forgotten <laughs> given how football has become such a big machine, but its origins are in a very unexpected place, New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, that leads us into, again, I'll talk about this behemoth of an industry and billion dollar fantasy. That's what we want to get. That's why we watch you on the, the show and everything, but let's take, I'm trying to think of that DeLorean I showed you earlier. I'm trying to think of how far back we really want to go. Open-ended question. Okay. So you started at Yale, you're a reporter, 
like take me from being a Yale reporter all the way to now you're on, of course, your pinnacle of your career is fantasy football origin stories. Like it doesn't get any better than this log out right now. Absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. after, but like to, to the point of that to I'm going to write a book about two of the behemoths of fantasy football. Like take what led us up to that story? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think that they're actually sort of um, really connected. I mean, in terms of like I so I was working at Sports Illustrated at the time as a reporter and and writer um, and uh, covering a lot of different sports. Um, And, you know, I think like you get assignments and you do stories that you don't necessarily want to do. but it's part of the job. It was a great job, but you know, not every story is a story that is your idea or something that you want to do. Um, so, but in this case, um, this was a story that I pitched, and the idea was these two companies that were on my TV sets. It seemed like nonstop, and this was back in 2014. Um, when FanDuel and DraftKings um, were these two startup companies, it was sort of unclear what they were, but they were on our TV sets like constantly um, during football season of 2014. And these two companies that were advertising this little game where if you drafted players, and those players did well, um, then you would become a millionaire. <laughs> and so it was just like, you know, first of all, the first thing that runs through my head is like, this is clearly gambling and gam- sports gambling back then was the illegal outside of Las Nevada. <laughs> um, but the second thing was like, wow, this actually looks really cool. Um, and I, I had been a long time fantasy football player so and you know i would say that that was somewhat i mean it wasn't rare but it wasn't like not every reporter at sports illustrated not everyone in sports media plays fantasy football and in in case and in fact i would say that um there's some people within the industry who sort of like yeah it's just like a weird sort of you know if you're a sports reporter you don't necessarily play fantasy sports um so so i had this idea pitch this story um and really didn't know anything about these two companies um and so that's what led me to write a you know pretty big magazine story by big i mean long um a story that ran in sports illustrated about fanduel and DraftKings, mostly about fanduel because they were kind of the bigger company at the time but it was essentially a story about this new version of fantasy football that they had created called Daily Fantasy that was a mix of fantasy football and sports gambling, but really kind of was sports gambling <laughs> at a time when sports gambling was illegal. And so I, you know, I, I did the story. I really enjoyed it. I loved the topic. Um, and then um, from there, then uh i pitched this book to a publisher they were interested um and yeah that's how i ended up writing a book about these two companies huh like you said it's almost like perfect uh storm where you happen to be passionate you see this different wave and when you say 2014 like not that well first off that was when the lions had like the number one defense they were great in 2014 deandre levy he was like this monster of a tackle machine i used to every time he tackle i go let the hammer fall because he was like they didn't his nickname the hammer but i digress so yeah i, I it's like <laughs> thinking about it it's like it's already been 10 years but at the same time it's only been 10 years like i didn't even i guess i didn't even put my finger on it when you mentioned 2014 that's a it's not really that long ago no, um, you know, it isn't, um, you know, but FanDuel was, their history kind of went back to 2008, 2009, where that's when they started. And it was just like this very small oh. operation. DraftKings was founded in, not until 2012, around then. So they came a little bit about later, but no, I mean, at the same time, they weren't really relevant or kind of 
they certainly weren't anywhere near what they are today until 2014, 2015. Um, and, you know, part of the story is that for many, many, many years, specifically DraftKings, because they had started earlier, um, it just took them a long time to figure out how to get a lot of people to play their game. Um, but no, it, it's totally true that it is fairly recent. It is um, kind of a long time ago, but you're right. I mean, it does, it is all kind of pretty recent history. And then they sort of evolved into something else after, um, since the recent developments of sports gambling becoming, you know, largely legalized in the, over across the country. So they've kind of had their own evolution, but um, they were pretty irrelevant and kind of nobody's really prior to, you know, it was really around 2013 to 2014 when they really started to explode. Yeah. So what's the difference? Okay, you have this article, like you said, it was more of a long form for a Sports Illustrated magazine to turn it into, it's like, what's the, what's, how in depth did you go in the book into the whole like story and ecosphere of like what happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're writing a magazine story, you basically just interview a handful of people um, and you're kind of in and out. Um, one of my, I took a reporting trip um, to Las Vegas. It was uh, 2014, December. It was kind of like the fantasy football championship weekend. Um, and uh, it was just kind of like this extravaganza at one of the, casinos there and um and met a lot of people in person um met the FanDuel founders um there's five FanDuel founders um they're all sort of um they were they're from the UK um hmm. the CEO was a guy named Nigel Eccles and I met him in Las Vegas in in 2014 and kind of developed this relationship with him and the FanDuel company. And so when I pitched this idea for a book around in, I think, 2015, early 2016, um, I already had sort of a head start in that I had done all this reporting. And I also had developed a relationship with some of the characters that would be in the book. So, um, but then it's sort of like when you start writing a book, it kind of becomes its own little thing where, I mean, obviously... You have to write a lot more. You have to interview a lot more people. And that's a process that took um, maybe two years or so. And that was a little challenging just because these it, I wasn't really reporting on history or writing about sort of um, the story that, um, you know, it wasn't really a history book. It was a book about these events that were taking place in real time because um, between 2016 and 2019, these companies kind of uh, went through some scandals and, uh, you know, were on the verge of being shut down and some ma massive legal problems due to the fact that um, the government viewed them as gambling operations. <laughs> and so it was kind of a roller coaster ride. It wasn't sort of your standard kind of like, I'm writing about the origins of fantasy football. <laughs> it was about, I'm writing about this crazy thing that is just like changing by the day. Um, so it was a different type of process, but, um, and, the, and the book came out um, shortly after the passage, uh, or shortly after the Supreme Court um, struck down the federal ban on, on sports gambling. So, and then after that fact, like FanDuel and DraftKings kind of went all in on sports gambling. So. Right, yeah. It almost kind of too bad you weren't into podcasting back then. It would be kind of interesting to like a almost like reporting like every other week, like the the process of what's going on, and then the final product is the book or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and I think that um, yeah, because a lot of the conversations I was having with you know not just the Fanduel guys but um, DraftKings as well. Um, you know, the book is also about their origin story. Um, they were like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> because they were going through a lot of legal problems. Um, they weren't even really thinking about 
the legalization of sports gambling um, through the bulk of the time that I was talking to them. So that was a whole twist in the story. But you're exactly right. I mean, it was like I was reporting on this in real time. So, you know, if I had a tape recorder through all the interviews I was doing, um, it would have been nice to kind of turn that into a podcast as well. But um, but yeah, it was it's a totally crazy story. And it really um, was, I mean, essentially was the story of these companies that were trying to, in their eyes, fix fantasy sports because of the problems that they saw that fantasy sports had. And I, th- I would say the problems that I think like you and I probably both see in, in fantasy sports, um, kind of the obvious problems. And they were like, oh, there's so much that needs to be fixed. There's so much opportunity. 60 million players across the country. Um, there's a lot that we can do and change. And imagine if we just got all these people to just like play our game and put in like, you know, $50 into um, daily fantasy. And what's interesting is that they, the problem that they had was essentially that the beauty and what I love about fantasy football, it's a social aspect and their game (laughs) was not a social game. It was all about playing on your phone by yourself and winning 50 bucks on a Wednesday night. It has its own thrill, but that kind of, and it's an entirely different experience from getting together with your friends, drafting, trash talking and all that stuff. So, um, so they weren't able to fix that problem, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because the best part about the fantasy football season, if I don't, I haven't been able to do this in a long time, but the live draft with everybody doing the draft together, that's like the best part. Yeah, I mean, and I still, I'm in a baseball league. We actually do get together um, in person and um from all parts of the country and oh that is, i mean the draft is is by far the the best part and half the people if not most or all of them are checking out of their teams if you're not in contention and that was the problem you know it's clearly a problem with fantasy season long sports traditional fantasy sports and fantasy those guys wanted to come in they're like oh you know we're going to changes so that every day matters, every every game matters. And it was kind of like, okay, well, what about that social part of it? And it was like, yeah, that's kind of a problem. We're trying to figure that out. But, you know, we still got this thing. People can make money. And it turns out the social part is really what we love about fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy sports. I mean – that kind of is the reason why we do it at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they do have, a, a um, they're improving a little bit with some like the, the leagues, I guess you call it, where you can actually join and invite your buddies and stuff like that. So that helps. Um, but yeah, there's the blend, I guess, as long as they know that their audience, um, I'm trying to think there was something I was going to ask you about this book. Well, I'll ask you this other question later, but, oh, that's what it was you kind of alluded to like DraftKings and talking about like being in legal problems and they're like, Oh, you know, I, we, we don't even care about the legality of gambling. We have all these other things going on, but like, what's the, the story you uncovered or something that like blew your socks. I feel like, Whoa, I never expected them to tell me that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot, I mean, I think they, they definitely, what was kind of mind boggling is how much money they spent and hemorrhaged and lost and were just willing to spend in terms of advertising just to get people to play their game. And it kind of ties into what we've been talking about, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they both spent hundreds of millions of dollars um, on advertising in as early as 2015, they were, there was a, either a FanDuel or, or DraftKings commercial that was on TV um, during an NFL Sunday. Every There was one of those commercials every 90 seconds. Whoa. Because they just dominated 
the airwaves. And they just spent a lot of money doing that in order to just get as many users and customers as possible. And they were extremely successful at that. They really did. I mean, overnight, um, it was really just kind of mind boggling 2014, 2015, how many customers and users they did get out of a result of all those commercials that you had, you know, Sunday from noon to, <laughs> to 1130 at night, it was all DraftKings and FanDuel commercials. Um, but the problem was they, you know, with the nature of those commercials was just like all about how much money you could win from playing fantasy sports daily fantasy sports in, in particular. And so as a result, they just got the ire and the certainly the attention of uh, people in Congress or state attorney generals and just people who are like, wait a minute, <laughs> sports gambling is illegal. How can they do this? Um, when clearly they were getting all these customers, making, you know, bringing in a lot of money from those customers, um, but at the same time, losing a tremendous and astounding amount of money on the amount of advertising um, that they were doing. So the advertising was incredibly successful. Um, at the same time, it really kind of backfired because it really put a target on their backs um, because a lot of people were like, wait a minute here, this smells a lot like sports gambling. Yeah, that's interesting. Like you said, they almost like they dug their own grave to be a target and everything. What's the uh, what's a question that I didn't ask you that maybe would be able to bring out a great story from the book? Um, yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I met all. I also met a lot of players of daily fantasy um, and some extremely high rollers, spent a lot of time with them, flew out to um, the Midwest to hang out for several weekends with um, kind of like the biggest, high, highest rollers um, in, uh, in the daily fantasy space. And, you know, as a big sports fan and as a fantasy football fan, um, you know, I just it was a lot of fun kind of watching games and breaking down games through their eyes and through their sort of very analytical perspective. But I mean, they just put tremendous amounts of money. I mean, the swings and while I was there just, you know, putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars on a NFL Sunday. And this is, these are people who, you know, I mean, in, are not kind of, I mean, this is their livelihood and they just had an enormous tolerance for risk that, um, that the swings on an NFL Sunday. And again, it smells like sports gambling, but this was a variation of fantasy football where you wake up on a Sunday morning um, and you pick your players uh, and for the day and kind of calibrate you're picking on last minute injuries, the weather in green Bay. Um, now this suddenly this backup quarterback in Houston, you know, is the starter now. And, um, you know, there is a, a fun aspect to that, but I was with, you know, some guys in Colorado and in, in, in Boulder, which oddly enough, there's kind of a hotbed for daily fantasy um in denver actually and um and yeah i mean just having hundreds of thousands of dollars on the performance of you know name your quarterback <laughs> <laughs> and um you know a missed extra point and there goes thirty thousand dollars um and again, I mean, those swings are kind of typical now in the sports gambling world, but this is 2014, 2015, I guess during my reporting 2016, when sports gambling was legal, and yet these high stakes tied to these games, I mean, it was already happening. And this was 
happening legally or somewhat legally at the time. Yeah, I don't know, like, obviously every name and stuff out there, but like you mentioned Denver, Colorado, it makes me think of Adam Levitan, and maybe he was one of those high rollers and talks about the, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talks about, because like a lot of people yeah. are po- poker, ex-poker players and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. No, no, all these guys are poker. They're great, great guys. I mean, it's really tight community um, and really super smart Um you know, obviously big fans, but um, and I would say, you know, look, I, I think like they pretty kind of like, you know, making sort of comfortable livings. Um, and, you know, I visited one guy just like in the suburbs um, making sort of decent money, not just like jaw dropping money, but he sort of like approached it like a job, you know, every single day, sat at his desk, 9 a.m., Monday, you kind of assess damage from Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, injury reports, kind of look, start looking at the weather on Thursday, Friday, and how those forecasts are looking, and just sort of the rhythms of a week, but approaching it like a job. And definitely what fantasy, Daily Fantasy created was sort of this world where um, people's livelihoods was, um, you know, people quitting their jobs. I mean, I reported on people who had just like jobs as accountants and financial advisors and able to leave their jobs for, you know, six figure paying jobs that would kind of make a comfortable living. Um, but at the same time, I mean, is it really comfortable when every weekend um, you could be losing tens of thousands of dollars? And you know, what was kind of fun is just like getting to know these guys and just um, their personalities. Um, and they're not like, it's not like they were like these massive risk takers, but like you said, very analytical poker guys who um, understood the risks, but understood that if they followed a certain process, then, okay, they might, they would probably do okay, you know? And, um, but you're certainly, um kind of leaving things <laughs> to, to, to chance a little bit, um, you know, when you're riding on that uh, Dolphins-Bills game on a, you know, random afternoon. But, um, but uh, yeah, kind of a different way to, to make a full-time living. Yeah, it's just a whole new world and everything. Um, speaking of that and, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, living and stuff like that. Uh, well, before, before I ask this question, do you have any plans for books in the future or not yet? Um, I, I do have several projects in the works. Um, none of them related to, uh, fantasy or daily fantasy or FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, but yeah, podcast projects, um, working on a, just, um, TV series and just kind of trying to get things off the ground. Um, but in different, um, different mediums and different projects. But um, yeah, I mean, the beauty of kind of podcasting is that you have the space to tell stories like you do and have the time. So in a lot of ways, I mean, in terms of storytelling, um, podcasting has become just like a, a tremendous way to, to tell rich stories in a, in a completely different way from book, which I love. <laughs> yeah, I want to. That's why I want to give you the opportunity because this is like part of the Sports History Network to share what your your uh, podcast, All American, is all about. Yeah, so um, I um, uh, helped create a podcast called All American with Stitcher and then SiriusXM and profiling sort of different kind of icons in sports. Um, and that was, uh, first season was on Tiger Woods. Second season was on um, Serena and Venus Williams. Um, and now um, working on different projects. Um, some history uh, shows that are in the works, but also non-sports related as well. So, um, so yeah, it's... Um, it's been great to just like be able to tell these stories, but yeah, I think like, you know, revisiting history, like the story of Tiger Woods and kind of a completely different 
um, perspective looking back now on his his story was was such a treat and and Serena and Venus Williams certainly um, you know I mean it, it really kind of like these icons that just in all two or three cases they just revolution revolutionized sports <laughs> so this is totally off the wall it's not sports related and it's talking about icons revolutionizing something I saw your son is an Elvis historian. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a joke, um, but it's an entirely joke, actually. But he is, um, he's really super into uh, rock history. Yeah, huh. he's a nine-year-old. And ever since he was um, two or three, uh, has just been into old-time rock and roll. He's kind of moved into Beatles territory and is a huge, huge Beatles fan, but just like, yeah, he spent his summer um, at Beatles camp and has performed and played the piano, but his repertoire is largely Beatles songs actually. now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, huge, huge Elvis fan. He was Elvis for one uh, Halloween and um, yeah. So uh, totally off topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I was Elvis about three or four times in my days too. My mom has a whole Elvis room. Oh, that's yeah, a whole shrine. That's yeah. why it, it struck my eye when I saw it. And now this is where I give you the credit. So I found that on albertchenwrites.com and I want you to be able to go ahead and give the listener of the show, if they want to reach out to you in some form or fashion or find your work, how would they do so? Yeah, just go to um, Albert Chen writes. Um, there's an email um, on the site and, uh, yeah. And developing projects. I'm on, on a show called snafu now that's hosted by Ed Helms, the comedian and actor, um, and doing a great history project, um, where we'll have a second season of that coming out later this year. And, um, and very excited for that and, and other projects that, yeah, getting off the ground. So perfect. As we leave on out of here, before we ask you the last question, you get to take that DeLorean five to 20 years in the future. You pick it. What's on tap for, I don't know, the fantasy football space or what would you like to see or what kind of prediction do you have? I would like it to, I five to 10 years from now, or even further down the road. I just hope that it's exactly the way it is (laughs) (laughs) because I don't need any sort of bells and whistles and anything. I just want to kind of get together with my friends in the same room and have a draft and, and, uh, and spend a whole weekend just talking about breaking down our teams and, and all that stuff. And I, you know, it's kind of going back to, what we love about it. And it is sort of just like that social aspect. I hope it doesn't change. I like sort of the simplicity of it and how even through technology and phones and everything, the game is basically the same, which is pretty astounding. Um, and that's what I kind of love about it. So um, yeah, I I think like parachuting in into the future, I just like hope that Fantasy football and fantasy sports just kind of stays pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a good era. Or like maybe this we look back at it. This is the golden era of fantasy football. We'll see. Uh, I've never heard that whole phrase of "I'm going to parachute into the future," so I might have to steal that one on you <laughs> down the road. <laughs> um, so the last one that I like to ask is always some kind of like words of wisdom for the listener. So we're gonna let you give some last words of wisdom for the listener, but kind of like maybe through your years of either being a writer or more so featuring like the research of the billion dollar fantasy book. And like, what can you give the listener of the show as words of wisdom? Yeah, no, I mean, even just like tied to really almost like the, those two companies and and the takeaway that I had was um, specifically the founders was just like, yeah, if you believe in something and feel passionate about it, and certainly I've kind of tried to embody this with my career as I've kind of gone from, you know, I worked a really long time at Sports Illustrated uh, at the magazine and transitioned from print to, you know, digital, but also podcasting and video and, and just kind of being 
following your gut in terms of just like, um, you know, what's working and what's not working, you know, and just being adaptable to, to what's going on. I mean, I think like those two companies specifically, you know, it was just kind of like a roller coaster ride and, but also just like believing that, okay, we have something here. And at the same time, just like, um, you know, sticking to your guns a little bit, but also just, you know, understanding what really sort of resonates and, and, um, and what, um, uh, just having kind of that North star and just sticking with it, whatever that is. Well, there you go. Billion dollar fantasy to learn more about this and so much more head over to fantasy football including in the show notes, you go ahead and purchase the book. And to learn more about Albert's work, you can head over to albertchenwrites.com. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fantasy Football Origin Stories. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please make sure to mash that little subscribe or follow button on your podcast player of choice, then head over to the website for the show notes and more Fantasy Football Origin Stories. That's at fantasyfootballoriginstories.com. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.